All right, all right. Hey, welcome to Rockbridge, wherever and however you have gathered to, to join us. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you at any of our physical locations and also for all of you who are tuning in online, on demand, YouTube, Facebook, or Rockbridge Online. Thank you so much for joining us. We're in part four of a series we're calling New Normal as uh, we walk with the prophetic ministry in the Old Testament of the prophet Elisha. And so you can join me in 2 Kings chapter 5. You can turn a Bible on. You're welcome to follow along with me on the screen or you can open up a physical Bible. 2 Kings chapter 5. Hey, before we get there, I, I tell you this all the time, Rockbridgers, most important service of our month when we come together in unity to take the Lord's Supper, pray together and worship together is first Wednesday. It's coming up next week and listen, it's at our physical locations or you can tune in online for an incredible time of, of prayer. Let me just especially say this. We, we obviously at this church take very seriously the Bible and in James chapter 5, uh, we're asked or told, hey, if, if you need prayer, you're to come before the church through the elders who represent the spiritual leadership of the church and that is available uh, at first Wednesday and so there's a time for that so whatever you're going through, if you need your church family to pray for you, that is just an incredible opportunity uh, to do that and also be reminded of what Jesus has accomplished for us, achieved for us on the cross, and we do that through the Lord's Supper. All right, let's get to work. Let's get to work with our minds and with our hearts. Be expectant. You're not here by accident. You're here for a reason. So let's open our hearts as we get ready to go into God's Word. When I ask you to do this, you can type this in in the chat or in the comment section online. You can write it down in your bulletin. You can put it in your head, whatever. But on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most extreme, how hard is it for you to accept when things do not go your way? So 10, very hard. 1, I just go with the flow. Easy come, easy go. Que right? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere and traffic is detoured or a guy in front of me is going 40 in a 70 zone or whatever. I mean, do you rage monster? What do you do, right? Scale of 1 to 10, okay? Next question. In your house, right, if, how disgruntled do you become when you do not have the remote control, okay? Be honest because you're probably sitting next to someone that you might have had a little trouble with on that issue. So 10 is I, 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 I just think the person that has it is incompetent. I could do it better. I want to be in control and, and all that kind of stuff. All right, last one, scale of 1 to 10, chat room, comment section, write it down. How difficult is it for you to accept something new and familiar, unfamiliar, excuse me, as okay, or new and unfamiliar is automatically I'm suspicious, or I'm skeptical, or I just want it to go back to the way that I know that's familiar and that's comfortable. So however you scored yourself, you can add them up, divide by three, get, a, get, an, get an average, but what we're trying to wrestle with is that a lot of times we just struggle, right, when things don't go our way, new normal. We struggle when we're not in control, new normal. We, we struggle when things come to us and we, we liked it how it was, we preferred it how it was, and we just struggle with that. And so kind of on the outset, we're just sort of closed or at least skeptical or pessimistic, if not outright frustrated and angry when new things happen where we're not in control, when, when things happen that, that are just sort of out of our box of, of comfort and, and, and things of that nature, yet we've been sort of learning and we've been pushing the envelope in our spirits and our minds and our perspectives over the last couple of weeks that, hey, God often works through 
new normal. And that God's uh, plan A for us often feels like our plan B. God, I didn't want this, didn't ask for this, didn't dream for this, didn't want to be this when I grew up when I was a little kid. But here I am, and we discover maybe that's God's plan A. And, and so, you know, here's the thing. I just Let's take a deep breath, and, and let's, let's, let's open ourselves up to say, hey, just because something doesn't go quote, our way, doesn't mean it's ultimately going to be bad for us. Just because something is new and unfamiliar does not mean it is automatically bad or, or, or terrible or going to cause pain and wounds. Just because I am not in control doesn't mean the person who is, or the capital P, God who is, right, is going to take me somewhere bad and unhelpful. In fact, God even sort of talks about how we can't imagine what he wants for us because of his love for us and his son Jesus. Here's 1 Corinthians 2.9. As it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind can, has conceived. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We can't even conceive it or conceptualize it. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. So God's plans for us, God's preparations for us, and the way God wants to express our love to us, or his love for us, his love to us, is oftentimes going to come in a way that is new, that is unfamiliar. It's going to appear outside of the realm of our expectations because God does God and God's ways are not our ways and his ways are higher than our ways. And so today we're going to begin navigating through a, one of my favorite f stories of the entire Bible in 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to encounter a guy named Naaman who's a lot like us because Naaman likes to be in control. Naaman wants things to go his way. Naaman's not okay when certain things don't meet his expectations. And we're going to see him open up. And we're going to be able to meet ourselves in this story and look down a path or look at a door that I really believe God has put in front of every single person that's listening, watching, tuning in, attending here this weekend. So let's be receptive. Let's be open. Second Kings chapter 5. Verse 1. Here we go. So Naaman, and so we're going to, in real rapid fire succession, we're going to see three characters emerge in the story, and then it'll eventually focus in on this guy named Naaman. Naaman's not a Jew. He's a Syrian. So he's not, quote, what we might call a Christian. He's not, quote, what we might even call a religious person, okay? He's commander of the army for the king of Aram, and he was, a, he was an, a man important to his master and highly regarded because he was very successful military commander and a general. Now, this is going to blow our minds a little bit because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, here's why this blows our mind. Because God is using a pagan, a non-believer. God is in charge and God works through people who don't believe in him, who don't follow him, who don't worship him. Just remember that as we go through a presidential election year, if your candidate loses, don't think that God has lost control. Okay, don't get discombobulated. Okay, don't put your hopes in any of that because the Lord is still working even through people who don't even think he's working through them and aren't even open to him working through him. That's how amazing and how powerful God is. So this man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. He had leprosy. So this, 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 this one verse is rich with theology. Theology is what we believe about God. This one verse basically teaches us that God is 100% sovereign and that God is 100% good all the time. 
Now, you just got to lay that on top of your new normal, our new normal, your individual, your family, your personal, your economic, your medical, your new normal. You just got to lay that on top of that, that God is, is sovereign. If he can work through a pagan military commander named Naaman, he can work through COVID. He can work through whatever you're dealing with. He's 100% sovereign and he's 100% good, which means in his scheme of things, over the course of eternity, everything God permits, causes, allows, is going to bring bring ultimate good and, and a result in ultimate glory to him. So you just lay that on top of your new normal and it increases your expectancy or it increases your trust or at least it causes you to lean in and look at God and say, okay, God, maybe I need to be a little more open to the new, to the unfamiliar. Okay, God, maybe I need to be a little bit more receptive to the fact that I don't have the controls right now. All right, so that's our theological foundation. And then we get introduced to another little girl, and she's a servant girl. So Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel, now we get a Jewish person in the story, a young girl who served Naaman's wife. So she became the servant to the military commander's wife. Now let's just talk about this girl for a second. This probably means she's an orphan. It probably means in battle, her parents were killed or, or hauled off somewhere. She becomes enslaved. She becomes an orphan. So she, this young girl, the servant girl, has a new normal. But look at what she does. She served Naaman's wife and she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet, that's Elisha, who we've been talking about, who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. Now, now here's what's startling about this nameless servant girl who's going through tremendous adversity. Lost her parents, and she's a slave to the enemies of her nation. She's open to being used by God. She's not closed. She, somehow she believes God's 100% sovereign and God's 100% good. So if God allowed me to be taken captive, if God allowed this, permitted this, caused this, whichever in the mystery of God's sovereignty that we can't fathom, then there must be a purpose for it. And she goes, maybe I can point my pagan master and his wife, maybe I can point them to the true God, Yahweh. Do you ever think that God can use something you don't like for ultimate good? That God can use you where you are even though you don't like where you are? That God can use you to point, use you to talk, use you to help people find higher hope and greater purpose than what this world can give? Why can God do that? Because he's 100% sovereign and he's 100% good all the time. So she gives him some hope. And so Naaman, who needs hope, He's a pagan, and here's what happens when people get desperate. They'll, go, they'll, they'll consider things they never would consider. They'll try things they never would try. And so Naaman's like, maybe I'll try out this so-called God of Israel. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And so the king of Aram, who loves his military commander because God accomplishes good things or, or victories through him, 100% sovereign, 100% good, therefore the king of Aram said, go. And I'm going to send a letter with you to the king of Israel to, to write for your favor. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. 
Now, he's the supposed head of Israel, and the letter, he read the letter, and then the letter said, when this letter comes to you, note that I have sent my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. The king of Israel, though, is not open. The king of Israel doesn't see God working in this. The king of Israel is scared, so he tore his clothes as he read the letter, and he said, hey, am I God? killing and giving life, that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease. And he recognized that he is only picking a fight with me. So the king of Israel is closed. The king of Israel can't see the hand of God in this, in this norm, new normal. The king of Israel doesn't believe maybe God's 100% sovereign or 100% good. And, and so he misses it. So the highlight hero of the story so far, the hero of the story so far is a suffering servant girl, and we don't even know her name. Crazy, right? But that's how God works. God does some things that we would consider crazy, and we can't fathom them, and we can't comprehend them, but that might just be the point. So let's hold on to that thought. So Elisha, who's the prophet, he's the one we've been studying. So Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. And whenever in this culture the leader tears his clothes, there's something wrong. Something's off. And so it gets Elisha's attention as the prophet of Israel. So he sent a message to the king. He said, why have you torn your clothes? And the king recounts the story that Naaman has a skin disease, that he's the military commander who's whipped us and beat us in battle, and here he is wanting us to help him get healed of this disease. And so Elisha says, okay, have him come to me. And Elisha knows that God's 100% sovereign and God's 100% good. And so Elisha says, and he will know there's a prophet in Israel, which is another way of saying Naaman is going to know the God of Israel. Naaman is going to meet Yahweh, which is the same message essentially that our nameless suffering servant girl, enslaved servant girl was hoping for and aiming for. So Elisha sees that maybe God's doing something. Elisha's opened out of the box. Elisha's open to the providences of God. Elisha's open to what God might do in and through this. So Naaman, back to Naaman. Now we're going to zero in on Naaman. So he came with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. So notice Naaman comes in power, in prominence, and in prestige. Because that's who he is. He's the military commander of Aram of Syria. Now, here's what happens, which is so powerful, so amazing. Then Elisha sent him a messenger. Now, so Elisha basically sent him a servant. And there's a theme that's emerging where Naaman keeps trying to talk to the king and all he ends up talking to and hearing from is the servants. There's there's, There's something significant there. So just circle that, write that down. So Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. Elisha doesn't even come out to give him, he just sends him a messenger. Sends him a little servant, nameless, who said, Go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean. God's going to heal you, and here's what it's going to look like. Now, Naaman is here seeking help, seeking hope. And, And we would sort of think that the next verse would say, So Naaman went and jumped in the river, and washed seven times, and was healed. That's what we would think it would say, but it doesn't. It says this, that Naaman instead got angry and left. And, and, and we're like, well, wh- why is Naaman so angry? He was going to get his prayer answered. What is he missing? And here's what he was telling himself. 
Now, I, I say this a lot at Rockbridge. Be careful what you tell yourself. Make sure you preach to yourself. Preaching is declaring truth, eternal truth to yourself. Talking to yourself, you can talk yourself into despair. You can talk yourself into anger. You can talk yourself into hopelessness. But you can preach to yourself from the Word of God. You can preach yourself to happiness. So he's telling himself, well, here's what I thought he would do. He will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place on his body and cure the skin disease. I, I wasn't expecting I'd have to go wash in the, in the river of my enemies in this little podunk place. I wasn't expecting that. That's not how God would work. That's not what it would happen. And he goes further and shows a little geographic or ethnic pride and, and ethnic kind of nationalism. He says, aren't Abana and Parfor, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? I mean, he's sending me to this river. Why wouldn't he just send me to one of the better rivers in my own home country? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. Now, here's, the, here's the, the tension in the story, okay? Naaman is seeking God, but he can't see him. Why? Because I, I, I really believe a lot of us, those of you here today, those of you watching online today, this weekend, I, I believe a lot of us have sought God in this season. And we've thrown our questions at God. We've thrown our fears at God. We've thrown our insecurities at God. We've thrown our why and what and when at God. And a lot of us have sought God. I mean, when this crisis, this pandemic first hit, church attendance spiked. It went up really to record high numbers online. And if you added it all up, there were more people for the first couple of weeks attending church in America that had attended in a long, long time. And then it fell off a cliff again. And attendance, you know, went down physically and also went down digitally. And so there were people seeking God, but they weren't seeing God. And there's people here today, listening today, watching today. Maybe you're seeking God, but, but it's like, I just don't think God's doing anything. Now, why is that? Well, Naaman gives us some reasons and some understanding. Because you see, like Naaman, we all love explanations that make sense. We love expectations that get met, and we love experiences that give us what we want. Isn't that true? Isn't that true that we all have an idea? I mean, we've all, we have all let's be honest, all of us have a God complex. There, you have said, man, if I were God, this is what I would do, this is what I would want to happen, or this is how I would use ultimate power if I were 100% sovereign. The challenge is we're not 100% good, right? That's why we need a Savior named Jesus. But haven't we all done that? Haven't we all missed something because we were expecting something else? We were hoping for something else? Haven't we all gotten mad at our wives or our husbands or our kids because they didn't meet our expectations, because their explanations weren't satisfactory, and because our experience with them wasn't what we wanted that particular day or that particular season? Haven't we all kind of doubted God, gotten mad at God because God didn't meet our, didn't satisfy us with an explanation? God didn't meet our expectations, and our experience with God was like, huh? We're like naming, like, if there was a God, surely he would would come out and do something big instead of send me over here to do something humiliating. Right? So Naaman's seeking God, but he's not seeing the door, the path that God has provided. And I think the principle of the story, because it's so emphasized and it's so powerful, 
is that God offers a doorway. And I'm going to make a phrase here, but God offers a doorway that I'm going to call contradictory obedience. Go wash in this river of Israel seven times and you'll be clean. No, wouldn't he come out and just, shouldn't he do this? This is what I think God would do. This is what would satisfy me. This is what would make me say yes to God. No. God offers a doorway called contradictory obedience. Now, what does it contradict? Our expectations, our preferences, our pride, what we hope for, what we wish for. It, it, it contradicts our rationale. It contradicts the way we think it should go. It contradicts, you know, what we would do if... We had the remote control, man. How could they turn into HGTV when there's a basketball game on, right? And it's contradictory. But that's the doorway that God opens before Naaman. And he so, is so prideful and his expectations are so different. And what he was hoping for is, is so 180 from what he gets that he leaves the man of God and walks away. How many people in America today have walked away from God after seeking God because they didn't see God because God did not give them what they wanted, what they expected, and what they hoped for. How many people listening to me right now are, you know, you may be seeking God or maybe inside you've just kind of gone spiritually hard, spiritually cold because God has let you down in that he didn't meet your expectations. He didn't give you a satisfactory explanation and your experience of him was meh or non-existent. How, how many of us would just say, you know, I feel like Naaman and you've technically like Naaman left Elisha's presence. You've just left God. Because it just contradicts what you hoped for, what you thought, what you expected, what would make sense from you, to you. And let me be clear, okay? When I talk about contradictory obedience, let's distinguish that that differs from what I'll call common sense obedience. You know, there, there's obedience to God that makes sense, right? I mean, I don't want to bear the consequence. It makes sense, you know. To not kill anybody, it makes sense, you know, generally not to steal. It makes sense to generally obey traffic. It makes sense to try to be a good citizen because I don't want to bring trouble on myself. I don't want to bring, I mean, it just makes sense. And there's people all over the world that don't believe in the God of Jesus, the God of the Bible, that obey commonsensically. Because it makes sense to them. It's, it's like, yeah, that, I understand why this is bad. H how many people pick and choose what to obey from God? Why? Because if it seems logical, reasonable to you, or man, if I obey this, I know I'm going to get what I want. And, and so common sense obedience. But when you are just obeying God because it, quote, makes sense, you're trusting your own understanding. You're trusting your own rationale. You're trusting your own thinking. And you're really not trusting God. And so let's just be clear. You can, we can sit here and think all we want, man, I'm obeying God, I'm trusting God. But if you took God out of the picture, we'd pretty much be doing the same thing anyway because it just makes sense to us not to do this and to do this. And so Naaman is like, man, this, this thing God told me to do or Elisha told me to do, it defies my common sense. God shouldn't act that way. And he leaves. And I, I want everybody to hear me and you can write this down. You can tattoo this somewhere. God does not make it complicated. 
but it could be contradictory. I, I think a lot of people are like, man, I can't hear from God. I haven't heard from God. And, and I, I slow them down because I've lived this journey enough and walked this way enough. I'm like, God doesn't do chaos. God doesn't do confusion. God doesn't do complicated. Now, God does give us things that contradict our common sense, contradict our culture, contradict our pride, contradict our preferences, but it's not complicated. I mean, what's complicated, Naaman? Seven times go bathe in the river and you'll be clean. That is crystal clear. Crystal clear. You know, I, I've told many of you the story of, of when we moved back to Dalton and started Rockbridge Community Church. I promise you, the vision of God on my soul and Beth's heart was not complicated, was not confusing, but it did contradict a lot of things. And so some of us are like, man, I, I don't, I've never heard from God. And I just want to stop you and I think, I bet you probably have heard from God. Because it wasn't complicated. It just contradicted your common sense. It just contradicted your pride. It just caused you to, I don't want to be that humble. I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. I don't think that makes sense. I don't think that will work. So Naaman leaves God. Well, the story doesn't end there. So Naaman, well, excuse me, let me back up here. But his servants approached and said to him, notice again, who comes with the message for Naaman? The humble, obedient servants. So we have the, the messenger of Elisha. We have the nameless servant girl who's the mistress to Naaman's wife. And now we have the servants of the commander himself. And they say, my father, my commander, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, that kind of massaged your ego, that appealed to your prominence as a military commander, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you wash and be clean? In other words, hey, Naaman, it's not complicated. It just contradicts your expectations. It just contradicts the explanation you wanted to receive. It's just not the experience you wanted to have. And so Naaman went down and he dipped himself into the Jordan River. I was like, okay, I'll do it. Seven times according to the command of the man of God. And then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy. And he was clean. Then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God and stood before him. And from this point on in the story, there is no mention of the skin disease or the miracle. From this point forward in the story, it is what God did, his graciousness to do it, and Naaman's new life of following Yahweh. I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. He didn't stop at the miracle. He pushed forward to the maker of the miracle. So what do we get from that? See, here's, here's the thing, okay? Many of us are seeking God, but we're not seeing God. 
What makes the difference in Naaman's story is the same thing that makes the difference in my story and your story. God, yes, loves it when we seek him, but we're only going to see him when we humbly seek him. We're only going to seek him when we lay down our explanation, our, our desire for a satisfactory explanation that makes sense to us. We're only going to see him when we lay down our expectations, when we lay down the remote control. We're only going to see him when we say, God, how I experience you does not matter to me. I just want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. And if you tell me to go left when I think I should go right, I am going left. Because God does God. And it, it harkens back to you know, my sort of life verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Naaman was missing God. He was seeking him but missing him because he was leaning on his own understanding. Rather, in all your ways, submit to him. Humility, submission is a byproduct of humility, and he will make your path straight. How many of us in the new normal, this is the verse, this is the explanation, this is the understanding, this is what's been missing. So for many of us, this is our aha moment today. Because we have been just circling and circling and seeking God, but not seeing God. We've been confused. We've been mad. We're like naming, ready to leave it all behind and just, I am taking control. I am going to work things out. I can do better than God. I can make things go my own way. I am tired of this. And yet, here we are today with an invitation to lean not on our own understanding with an invitation today to take the door that contradicts common sense, that contradicts our pride, our preferences. But it's the door that leads to God. The door that opens up. I know there is no other God but you, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, all of us, you know, all of us have said this, okay? I, I've, I've seen it. People have screenshotted me stuff on social media. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've said it, okay? Where what we've said, here's what I'm going to do, and here's why I'm going to do it. And, and if you roll it all down, it, the, the operable word is I. It makes sense to me. I don't agree with this, so I'm not doing it. A lot of eyes. Like, everybody's got an opinion, right? If we're going to follow God, see God, oftentimes you have to do things, I have to do things, because the only explanation is God. Naaman, why in the world would you go seven times and dip in that river? What would Naaman have said? Because God told me to. Why in the world would you do that with your money? God told me to. What you're doing and how you're living sexually is so out of sync with the world. It's so yesterday. Why? Because God told me to. I sat down with a commander of the reactor division on a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, and he said, why in the world would you leave the Navy with what the money they're offering to keep you? And go start a church where you have no idea what's going to happen. Sir, because God told me to. 
So contradictory obedience is the path of a vibrant relationship with God. And if all you're giving God is common sense obedience, you're probably not trusting God. You're telling yourself you are, but you're probably not. So I just want to ask a couple of questions, lay them over our souls and our lives for just a minute. Are we seeking God but not humble? See, I think there's a lot of people seeking God in, in America right now. I really do. I really do. I think there's a lot of people seeking God. But they're not humble. They're self-righteous. They're angry, and they think they're justified in their anger. They're bitter and cynical because they think they deserve better. So they're seeking, but they're not humble. I think there's some people who are humble but aren't seeking. They're, they're beaten down. They're depressed. They're in despair. They're frustrated. They're kind of, they're like the victim. They, they, they just, man, they just, they, they're broken. They're not seeking. They're just what I would call stuck. Stuck is a choice, not a condition. Are we trusting the fact that God is 100% sovereign and 100% good? Like the surf, like this enslaved servant girl. Like the servants of Naaman. And eventually like Naaman. You know, there, there may be a group of people here listening, watching. And, and your, 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 your story would read like this. You know, I, man, I, if I'm honest, I really hadn't seen, heard, experienced God in a long time. This story may offer you an explanation. Because Naaman had to go back to the door he walked away from. And maybe there's a door you need to reconsider and revisit. Because God hasn't moved, but you have. And you walked away from God six months ago, six years ago, ten years ago, when God showed you a door of contradictory obedience, but you weren't willing to go through it. You stuck to your common sense. You held on to your pride, your preference. And you really just moved away from God. Now to help us all get a handlebar, and I'm praying, I've been praying for this part of the service all day. I'm going to just share some categories with you. And then we're going to pause and pray and just leave some space in our souls for silence and solitude. And maybe the still small voice of God would say, look, there's the door. I, I know it contradicts everything you believe, everything you think, all your pride, your preference, but that's the door I need you to go through. So let me just give you some categories to think about. How about in our relationships? Colossians 3, 12 through 13, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I'm going to just tell you something. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience is contradictory to how most people are treating people in our world today. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance. Forgiveness, I mean, we're in cancel culture, not forgiveness culture. How about adversity? You see, God says to receive adversity as a joy because he's using adversity to test faith and produce perseverance, and perseverance helps us be mature and complete our ultimate goal and our ultimate good. How about money? How about money? The words of Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's contradictory to everything, right, in the 21st century. And it's a recession. It's contradictory obedience. How about attitude? 
How about attitude? I mean, if all of us were bitter, cynical, and frustrated, most people would say, I am true. And we're justified in it. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe how Jesus laid down his rights and took up a cross. How about careers? I know some of those have been disrupted. How about this is our career path? Whatever you do in word or in deed and everything, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then finally, for some of us, for some of you, salvation. Do you know the very way God has ordained and designed for anybody to go to heaven and have an eternal life of satisfaction with him contradicts your pride? Remember, who, who keeps speaking to Naaman? It's the suffering servants. Do you know Jesus is called the suffering servant? Do you know why people in the first century miss Jesus? Because they were expecting pomp, circumstance, power, prestige. And what did they get? A naked, bloodied, beaten, deserted man hanging on a cross saying, Father, forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing. Maybe for some of you, you have held Jesus back long enough. And today is the day you go through the foolishness of the cross and your pride dies and you come to Christ. I know very well how foolish it sounds to those who are lost when they hear that Jesus died to save them. But we who are saved recognize this message Jesus dying for us and instead of us is the very power of God. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is giving you that recognition and you laid it down and you pick up Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your King, and as your treasure. For all of us watching, for all of us listening, whatever step the Lord gives, there's a great way to share that with us through text messaging. You can text NEXT to 888-744-0761. For everybody watching, for everybody here, I'm just going to pray for just a second, and we're just going to have a moment of stillness and silence for you to listen to God, and for God through His Spirit, through His Word, to maybe show you that door that's contradictory. And I'm praying we all walk through it to the glory of His name. And after this moment of silence, the next voices you hear will be those of your hosts and your campus pastors. Let me pray. God, for every person here today, I pray we've heard from you. For people that have been walking and seeking you but haven't been seeking you in humility, I pray that today is a day of humility. God, for those who have been, it's been a long time since they've encountered you, I pray that today is the day they go back and they repent and they revisit that door that contradict everything they hoped for, everything they thought. But they revisit that door because as, that, as they walk through that door, they get more of you. God, I pray for people that today is their day of salvation. Like Naaman, it's the day they say, I know there is no other name but the name of Jesus through which I may be saved. And so I am receiving and accepting Jesus and all that he is and all that he did for me. He is now my Lord and my Savior. God, we're just going to be silent and just give you something I think we struggle to give you, which is just space in our brains, our minds, our hearts and souls. And in this space, Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak, would show, would reveal. God, this time is surrendered and submitted to you. This time, God, we are not going to lean on our own understanding. This time, Lord, we're just open and we're trusting 
We're seeking, but we're seeking with humility. Show us those straight paths.